0: Hi everyone, I'd like to welcome you to this week's edition of the Sabbath School Commentary. I'm super happy that you've chosen to join me this week to get some basic commentary on this week's Sabbath School lesson and to get excited about our opportunity to sit together with brothers and sisters in the name of Jesus on the Holy Sabbath of the Lord and talk about education in arts and Sciences. That's the title of this week's lesson. Now, this week's memory verse is found in Psalm 19 in verse 1, and it says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Now, if this Bible verse is true, then we can learn of God's glory through the study of the heavens. And we can learn about his work by studying the expanse of the sky. Now, this is powerful. This verse of Scripture helps us to see that it's not just through the Bible that we learn about our Heavenly Father, but it's also through the created universe. So true education, education in the sciences, like to truly be educated in the sciences is going to help us to see more of God. Now, isn't it interesting, isn't it ironic that modern science is not pointing us more towards God, but rather it's pointing us more away from God. So in the scientific community, in the scientific world, belief is not on the increase. Well, that that actually could be debated, but by and large, we do not associate the sciences with religious faith and religion and God and the glory of God. But yet the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. So shouldn't we, when we study the heavens, be drawn closer to to the God who made them? And it says the firmament shows his handiwork. So then when we study the expanses of the heavens and, and the natural world, shouldn't we be drawn more towards God and see God even more? Why then, why then do we see so little faith in the scientific community? And why is in modern times science used as a weapon against Belief in God and belief in our Heavenly Father, our Creator God. I, I don't have the time. We don't have the time in this short session together to, to delve into that question too deeply. But I wanted to share one little thought that has really helped me as I, as I try to make sense of the circumstances that we're in as a society so science has been pitted against religion and religion against science. It's, it's kind of something that's done in the media and in Hollywood and at low levels of academic study. Um, especially the, just like the high school level, the you know, prep school level. But uh, so w- what I think it's important for everyone to understand is that there is a difference between science and what is called scientism. Okay. Now scientism is more of a religion, more of a of a philosophy than it is science. Now, um, scientism would would say would claim, and I'm going to try to give you the most simple summary because there's better ways to define this and more complex ways to explain this. But scientism is the philosophy that says that mankind with science can know and discover Everything. But science is, is what we know. <laughs> so what is scientific is what we know. What is scientific is the assumption that man can with science, discover everything. So when you hear people say things like, "Evolution, Darwinian evolution is established scientific fact," what, what they're doing is they're being scientific, not scientific. Meaning, you're speaking to someone, you're listening to someone who has adopted a certain philosophical understanding of the world. And that is that um, human beings can, with science, discover everything. So they're overstating their case, they're over arguing their position. It is not, by any object definition, uh, true that evolution is proven in the strictest sense. Um, no, not not at all. But um, so, anyways. So let's be aware that there is a difference between scientism and science. And so, the lesson points this out, not in the same language, not in the same terms, but but it points out that to truly be educated, to truly be educated on a comprehensive level, is to be taught to understand that you can find God through studying. God's works. Now, when my wife delivered our three sons, I found a lot of deep theology in that um, event, in those events. You have this person, this woman, who for nine months has been nurturing life. So life is being nurtured inside of this person. This woman. My wife. And. It, it's. It, after it grows. To, to term. And is ready to be delivered out into the world. Um, she goes into labor. So. Mom goes into laboring. Uh, contractions begin. And the whole birth process begins. And. Especially the first time. This is. Very painful. For. Her. And. Um, there is blood involved, there's sweat involved, there's a lot of discomfort involved. And so it's a very trying experience. It's a very difficult experience. And there's a lot of pain involved. I noticed at one point in the labor process, and I'm sure this is the case with, with many women, that there was a there was an acceptance of the experience and an embracing of the experience on my wife's part and that was almost a doorway that she had to go through in order to bring this child into the world and so i saw in my wife a little bit of what we see in jesus in the garden of gethsemane where there is a letting go and accepting of something that's horrific and painful But it's the price that has to be paid uh, for the delivering of life. And so I saw in the birth of my sons a little bit of how Jesus birthed salvation, birthed the new humanity into existence by bearing the sin of the world and going through the agony of Gethsemane. And so I saw a Gethsemane experience in the birth of my sons. Uh, So right in that one little, you know, part of the natural world and the natural experiences that we go through, you see a little glimmer, a little glimpse of the gospel. You know, the fact that life is nurtured inside of a woman for all of that time. It's interesting. And so so like you have this person inside of you, you have this being inside of you. And, and prior to consciousness, you've got this human life inside of you that has the potential to become a person. So you have life potential inside of you. Um, and when that person comes into existence, it's like you're meeting a newborn person, a newborn human being, and uh, how much love, how much you know, emotion is already stored up in the heart of a woman for that child as soon as that child is born, which just shows that that the creatures that God makes are are creatures who how how already have a place in his heart before they come into existence and he is invested love in them as soon as they come into existence just like a mom does and you know we could just go on and on and on about just powerful spiritual lessons that we can glean from the natural world and i'm just bringing up the birth of a child because the lesson points out how women when they're pregnant their stomachs expand but it happens in front of their face And so for nine months, they're constantly reminded that they're going to bring a human being into existence and they get that privilege, they get that opportunity. And you see God wanting a woman to join in with him into the joy of of life and creation and how awesome that is, you know, Um, that a person that doesn't exist can come into existence because of two people who do exist, that privilege of procreation God has endowed to the human race so that the human race can come more into contact with him who in the world has delivered a child into the world and then said boy that's an interesting biochemical accident that was hiccuped out of the universe into existence like you know like that's an interesting like clump of cells no that's a that's an interesting part that's a person it's a human being and uh it's a it's a it's a a thing with intrinsic value because it's more than just a thing. It's a person. It's a personality. It's a being. and It's a human being and it's made in the image of God. Life itself is sacred and beautiful and we all sense it. We all know it on an intuitive level because God created the universe and the life that's in the universe is sacred and ought to be protected. And we learn this um, just by observing. We can you learn it just by observing the natural world and the natural processes that go go on in the natural world? Um, something else. I saw this funny little like meme on social media, and it had two twins inside of a mum, and they're having a conversation. And in this conversation, I can't remember all the specifics, so I might stumble through this. So give me a you know a little bit of grace here. But it, it, this this one bub says to the other, this one little baby says to the other, like, hey do you believe in mom? And the other one says, ah, mom, there's no such thing as mom. I don't believe in anything that I can't see. (laughs) Yes, that's just a great analogy. You know, here's this little person inside of another person who only exists because of the person that he is inside of or she is inside of. And she's denying the existence of that other person that she's inside of because she can't see. And there's a profound lesson in that. And that is that some things are so beyond you that you can't conceive of them. You can't see them. They're, they're beyond your ability to see. But that doesn't mean you can't reason to the place where you can realize they exist. You know, one last little little thought here in regards to Psalm 19 and and being able to see God and see his glory through the created works C.S. Lewis has this quote that I'll butcher, and it's brilliant. But he says, I believe in God the same way that I believe in the sun, not because I can see it, but because by it, I can see everything else. (laughs) It's power. So we, we see God's handiwork in the natural world around us, but, you know, we don't see God in nature. And I think this is a, this is a real, real stumbling block for a lot of people out there who just trust in what they can see. They don't reason beyond what they can see to the point where they can understand that the creator of the universe, the creator of the material world is not going to be found in the material world because he's going to be seen through it. And so the natural world reveals God. We see him through it, but we don't see him in it. And people are saying, I won't believe in God until I can see him with my eyes. But would you expect that the God who created the universe would be seen by your eyes unless he somehow, someway manifested himself into the natural world? Of course not. You wouldn't think that. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, the lesson points out this passage in verse 20, where the apostle Paul talks about what is falsely called knowledge or science. And the translations that we have available to us uh, translate, you know, knowledge, uh, the Greek word into the word science on some occasions. And when Paul is saying there's science, he doesn't mean science in the same way that we mean it today, different time, different circumstance, different situation. Um, there were not. There's not a, a, a community of scientists who operate under the guidelines that our modern scientific community operates under, but the underlying principle is the same. There is a lot that is called science that is not in fact science. And that's what I was touching on with the, was just sharing the idea of scientism versus science. There. Are those who are willing to make these wild assertions about what they know and what they don't what 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 others don't know and what is proven and what is not proven, and really ultimately it's human arrogance it's the human assumption that we can know as God knows completely and totally and definitively like on every level and this is preposterous and whenever you get to reading uh the highest level of thinkers' writings like I've got a book it's called dar um. It's it's a, it's a book called um, God's Undertaker. It was written by John Lennox, a mathematician from from an English university. I'm not sure if it's it's one of the one of the Ivy League schools. Anyways, God's Undertaker has science buried God, and at the beginning of each chapter, he has a, a thought leader from from various fields of science quoting. Um, you know, he quoted there and. Almost on every occasion, they're they're not as certain as your high school teacher sounded (laughs) in regards to the evidences that support Darwinism and evolution. um, They're much more cautious. They're much more careful in their assertions because they can afford to be because. um, Yeah, anyways. So uh, I want to get into uh, Romans chapter uh, one, as the lesson does with you guys. And uh, we'll begin reading here. In verse 20, Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from that which has been made, so that people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. And their foolish hearts were darkened, and so uh, I tend to agree with this statement, and believe that people can clearly see and understand through the created world uh, the divine nature and glory of God, and further to this, that uh, it's 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 pretending that we don't know God that darkens and darkens our hearts and, and makes us come to very foolish conclusions. How foolish do you have to be to say, with certainty, I know there is no God. Have you traveled the expanse of the universe so that you have looked in every possible place and are sure there is no God? Like, you know, don't you? don't you kind of have to be a God to make that type of fiat, you know, Proclamation, like I know there is no God. God does not exist. <laughs> like, yeah, you get to those kinds of rash and wild conclusions because you you forgot God. You you just you decided you didn't want to see it. You you can see it. It can be known. The evidences are there, but you don't you don't want to see it. Now. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, I I agree with that, by the way. And the verse does not say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of an intelligent mind. It says it's the beginning of wisdom. The Bible nowhere teaches that there aren't smart unbelievers, or that unbelievers cannot be smart or intelligent, but... It says, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God, and then that the invisible attributes of God are seen through the visible world, and no one is with excuse. Everyone is without excuse because it's there. It's there to be seen. It's there to be known. It's there to be acknowledged, and God is there to be praised, irrespective of whether or not you have Scripture or were born in the right home. So I want to just explain one of the reasons why I fully concur with the Bible, when it says the fool has said in his heart that there is no God, and that the be- that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. But caveat here, you know, First Corinthians 1, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. Um, okay, so there is an argument, a philosophical argument for the existence of God. It's called the argument from reason. Um and it's not really one argument. It's kind of a set of arguments that philosophers who believe in God, you know, use. And I actually have examined this argument and I've heard it argued from many different apologists or those who contend for Christian faith as true. And uh, I think it's, I think it's an insurmountable argument. I think it's, it's power. I think it's valid and good and amazing. and, I'm not going to explain it perfect so once again give me grace but I think you'll get the gist of of what the argument is it the argument from reason is is basically the idea that you can you have no grounds to accept or to trust your own reasoning if your reasoning ability is not given to you by an intelligent or reasonable creator okay so if in fact the universe is mindless, and the, the natural, all the natural processes that we see around us are, are unguided. And all that came into the, all that's in existence came into existence via natural causes. Okay, so this would then mean that there's a senseless universe, a purposeless universe, a universe of random events that are not guided by any supernatural forces or any any intelligences, right? And human beings just came into existence. So if my mind, my reasoning, my thoughts are the products of a random blind material universe, then what grounds do I have for trusting my own thoughts, right? Why would I make truth claims? Why would I assert anything as a fact as if I know it, as if I really, really know it. I know this is true. Um, I have no basis for doing that unless there is a God. Or my thoughts, my ability to reason and to think was given to me by a reasonable, and intelligent God. You know, I think John understood this, and so in John chapter one, it says, "In the beginning was the Logos." You know, it was the Word, and the Logos in the Greek is, you know, was the reason was the logic it's where we get our word logic from our ability to reason to process our ability to reason was given to us by God and that's why we're also certain that we can do it well and we trust our own reasoning capacity we trust our own thinking ability we trust our ability to deduce and make sense out of consider evidence and then and then make you know take 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 positions based on evidence it's because we all trust our own thoughts. But why would you trust your own thoughts if they're just blind and products of the blind and random natural world around you? It makes no sense whatsoever. So, a simple analogy, and I hope you guys are cool with these kinds of philosophical thoughts and stuff. They're really interesting to me. But I heard this analogy by someone that I thought was brilliant, and he was making the case, the arguments from reason for a reasonable intelligence who made the universe. And he says, imagine if you were on a train and you were traveling towards Wales, you were in England, and you saw on the hillside uh, rocks that were ordered in such a way that the words welcome to Wales was spelled out there. Now, if you believed that those rocks were arranged by an intelligent person or that an intelligent person put those rocks on the side of that hill, then you would trust that you were entering into Wales. But if on the other hand, you believed that those rocks were placed there just by random natural forces, you would not believe that you were about to enter into Wales. And this is similar to our own ability to reason. If our ability to reason was given to us by just this natural instinct to survive, you know, this this kind of desire to preserve ourselves and to preserve our genetic code because we just have to survive and survival is the law of life and that's it. Well then, you know, why would you trust that any of your thoughts are trustworthy and not just simply your programming by nature to tell you to do what you need to do to survive? You follow the logic there? I think it's a powerful argument, guys. It's a powerful argument. And this is why the Bible says the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. The person who says there is no God or I know for certain that we evolved, they're making an, a full-on truth claim that evolution cannot account for, that, that you cannot account for within the evolutionary worldview. And so there's a really brilliant uh Christian man who died you know a few years back his name was Greg Bonson and if you get a chance like find Greg Bonson on YouTube and listen to some of his lectures the guy was powerful. God gave him an, a stellar mind and you might find him a bit argumentative and not but he's never belligerent or nasty but you know he's a he's an arguer for sure and and he he was in one debate I was listening to this guy. And he's not debating like jokers. This guy's a high level academic who's a deep and profound thinker. He's not a joke and he's serious. And he was a biblical Christian. And in one debate, he was using this argument from reason, you know, and, and he said to the person he was debating is, is he said, he said, what we need to do is because you have assumptions that inform your view. And I have assumptions for sure. I admit that I admit that, uh, I come to evidence with certain basic assumptions. I assume that there is a supernatural. I assume, you know, that uh, there is a God and I, I read that into the data. I read that into the evidence. And then he said to the guy, but because you're a scientific in your thinking, you're not just being scientific. You're, you're pre-committed to certain assumptions as well. And that's that the universe is just come into existence by natural forces and not by the supernatural. And there is no God and that evolution is fact. And so therefore you read that into all the evidence. He's like, it's true. And so, we can sit here and debate over you know, the evidence, but because I have assumptions and because you have assumptions, we're never gonna actually come to terms because we have different assumptions that we take into our consideration of the evidence. And so what we need to do is what we need to do, we need to take your worldview and then take my worldview, which is based on both of our assumptions, and then compare which accords best with reality. And he says, I make truth claims. I make claims of certainty because God has given me a reasonable mind. And you make truth claims as well. You trust your reason. You trust your capacity to know the truth and to know facts. And you come here and, and you say things like, there is no God and evolution is fact. And then he said, and then it's brilliant. Bond says, can you, can you, can you give me a reason from your worldview the worldview that says there is no God and everything can come into existence by natural processes. Reason for okay, the laws of logic, because there are laws of logic that transcend race and culture, and these laws are invariant, they're immaterial. You explain those laws of logic to me, and then you know, and, and it was brilliant because the his opponent could could not, he was just utterly at a loss, and he tried to say all kinds of silly things like, well, logic is relative. And then Greg Monson says, well, if logic was relative, why are you here debating me, thinking that you can prove anything? Because if logic is relative, you can't prove anything. And if logic is relative, why are you trusting your own reason and your own study and your own you know, scientific search and research? Like it just makes absolutely sense. So guys, I've said a lot of stuff about apologetics and arguing for the faith. Uh, And I hope that this can be a blessing to you and affirm your biblical belief that there is a God. Um, Listen, God can be known and God can be seen through the created works. And there are so many brilliant and beautiful things that testify to that. Did you ever stop and think about the seasons and how when you're in a place that, that has seasons, that gets cold enough for the leaves to fall off the trees and the leaves to change colors and then the leaves then the trees to be naked and bare, and then for the leaves to come back to life in the spring. Have you ever been in a place like that? And in the fall, you, know, you could see the leaves turning color, see the leaves falling, and then see the trees bare, and think to yourself, these trees basically look dead. In the winter, all the trees besides the evergreens, besides the, the, the coniferous trees, they all die, but then they come back to life. Hmm, interesting. So <laughs> trees die and then they're resurrected. Did you ever stop to think, like when you when you consider plants, how you know, like how they drop seeds and how those seeds have to fall into the ground? And in order for those seeds to produce life, those seeds have to die to what they are in order for life to be produced from those seeds. Every kind of consider that. Hmm. So like in order for plants to continue living, they have to drop their seeds to the ground and their seeds have to die in order for new plants to come into existence. Hmm. Interesting. Then there's the example in the illustration of the caterpillar, this animal that has to die to what it is to, convert to becoming a, a butterfly. Jesus even said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies in John 12, it remains alone. And he was talking in reference to himself and him, his giving of his own life to save humankind. And so we can go on and on and on guys, but uh, I'm just going to end our commentary here. Let's rejoice in the fact that we can see God everywhere. Uh, the, the, the natural world is filled with meaning and filled with wonder and let us let us seek wisdom and knowledge and understanding carefully from the natural world. And let us allow God to teach us through his great second book. God bless you guys as you get together to study this week's lesson. I mean, I talked about like one one-fiftieth of what's in there. It's a powerful lesson, a ton of insight, a ton of inspiration. God bless you guys, whether you're teaching Sabbath school or whether you're a participant. I'm praying for you. We're praying for you at the office. We appreciate you all so much and what you do. God bless you. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye.